As you may know, this is only our third episode of this podcast, and I have only been doing this for just under two months. And already, we have hit over 100 likes on our Facebook page, a dozen followers on Twitter, and over 300 unique users on the website. I knew we were going to grow and reach great heights, but never at this amazing of a rate. To all of you who have made this happen, you are amazing, and I couldn't thank you enough. This is the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Welcome to the third episode of the Sleeper Hold Podcast, where there are no disqualifications on the topics and falls count anywhere. We're going to continue with the third installment of our series, The Eras. We've touched on the golden years and the new generation era for the World Wrestling Federation after losing star talents like Hulk Hogan. We also mentioned the start of Extreme Championship Wrestling, as well as the beginning of World Championship Wrestling and the time when Eric Bischoff took over for WCW. So without further ado, we will continue this awesome transition to a time when everything really began to pick up for the wrestling world. This is probably going to be where I am betting most of my audience will start to relate to some of the history we touch on, as this is the highlight of wrestling's history, especially due to the previously mentioned dawn of the Monday Night Wars. To start, we're going to grapple with the first topic at hand, which is ECW's Paul Heyman era. So Todd Gordon used to be the owner of Extreme Championship Wrestling, otherwise known as ECW. In 1995, he sold the company to his head booker, Paul Heyman. Paul was commonly seen in ECW as Paul E. Dangerously prior to taking over and was well known back then for something he is established for even today, being an amazing manager. When Heyman took over, Todd Gordon stayed around for a few years as the commissioner of ECW. There was many speculations to why Todd Gordon left, including that he was actually a mole for other productions to take talent away from ECW. However, what was explained on air was that he simply retired due to family concerns. ECW was dominant in their hometown of Philadelphia. So much that in 1995, when WWF hosted their King of the Ring pay-per-view in Philadelphia, the crowd began chanting ECW, ECW, over and over during the matches. If Vince had no concerns about ECW before, he was unable to ignore them any further after this. ECW had targeted Vince And when WWF returned in September of 1996 for their In Your House pay-per-view, Heyman and three of his top talent sat in the front row of the show. Sandman, one of those talents, even interfered in a match by throwing beer at one of the WWF talents. Talk about making a statement about stepping into the backyard of another big dog. Next thing you know... 
ECW was invading Raw during 1997 and throughout a good portion of the year. ECW and WWF were going to be cross-promoting their shows on Raw as two rival companies. April 13, 1997 was the milestone for ECW as their first pay-per-view debuted called Barely Legal. Their spotlight was on having Terry Funk go head-to-head against Raven for the Extreme Championship Wrestling heavyweight title. There would be a series of successful pay-per-views for ECW throughout the 1990s, including ones that crossed matches between Extreme Championship Wrestling and World Wrestling Federation talents. In 2000, Extreme Championship Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion Mike Awesome appeared unexpectedly at WCW's Monday Nitro and attacked Kevin Nash. Mike Awesome had apparently jumped ship over to World Championship Wrestling's roster while still holding the Extreme Championship Wrestling title. Now, the interesting part is that Awesome had practically held the belt and title hostage until he felt rightfully paid by Paul Heyman for what was owed to him. Sound familiar to what Ric Flair did in one of our earlier episodes? It was, except this time it wasn't to be repaid for the title, just for what was agreed upon in the contract for Mike Awesome's paycheck. Now, Paul Heyman did legally get Awesome to be banned from showing the ECW title during any World Championship Wrestling broadcasting while they worked out the settlement. Once everything was finalized between Mike Awesome and Extreme Championship Wrestling, Awesome would appear one more time at Extreme Championship Wrestling ring on April 13th of 2000, where he would lose the title to Taz. Ironically, Taz was also working for World Wrestling Federation at this time. Extreme Championship Wrestling began an annual summer promotion in Los Angeles called Heat Wave. Los Angeles had its own promotion called XPW, short for Extreme, with an X in the beginning, Pro Wrestling. Their owner purchased six tickets front row for a few of his talent to appear and do everything they could to explain to Paul Heyman that he was on enemy grounds. It was literally taking a move straight out of Paul Heyman's playbook, but this resulted in a true mess of problems for both promotions. When XPW talent tried to show their pride by displaying their company shirts, they were asked to leave. Now, it is not reported that XPW talents were involved with what happened next, but this did lead to a huge controversy for both XPW and ECW. In the back parking lot, a brawl had broken out between the Extreme Championship Wrestling talent and the Extreme Pro Wrestling ring crew resulting in many of the XP crew leaving the arena in pools of their own blood. During this time, Extreme Championship Wrestling had a television slot with TNN, but would soon lose this slot when TNN said they were going to be closing the deal in favor of WWF's Monday Night Raw moving over to their network. This appeared to begin the downward spiral for ECW, 
as they had a real hard time securing another television deal for their shows. On January 7, 2001, Extreme Championship Wrestling's Guilty as Charged aired as the last pay-per-view of Extreme Championship Wrestling. Paul Heyman was in such financial trouble with the company and was not able to pay all his talent respectfully at the time. It took Vince McMahon to bail them out by eventually purchasing the assets and talent of Extreme Championship Wrestling for the WWF. Are you in the Central Illinois area and always wanted to be part of the wrestling action? Thought about seeing what it's like to be in the squared circle? Do you have the heart of a champion? If so, then here's something you may want to take note on. Pinfall Wrestling Association School, Pinfall Academy, is about to launch their summer camp starting June 1st. It's a 12-week course where you will work with head trainer Guy Smith, who has over 12 years of experience under his belt and was trained by the legendary Harley Race. From what I know, it's the only school in the area and these guys will make you excel. There is a special registration night on May 12, 2015 at the PWA Penfall Academy. If you want to find out more information, let me give you a phone number of who you want to talk to. The number is 217-679-6401 and ask for Tim Givens. Or look them up on Facebook by searching Pinfall Wrestling Association. And tell them the Sleeper Hole Podcast sent you. So although ECW had not such a pleasant run with things, the World Championship Wrestling had begun to show they were going to be a true competitor with WWF during the Monday Night Wars. Now we aren't going to get all the way to 2001 with WCW in this segment like we just did with ECW. There is a lot to talk about with WCW, and it's easier for me personally since it was a company I grew up watching back and forth with WWF, and there's a lot of great content here. When we left off, Bischoff had begun to make WCW become the competition that Turner had dreamed of, but they needed an extra kick to make them move to the top of the ratings. So enough talk. Let's grapple with this topic as well, rightfully called a good time to be the bad guys. As mentioned before, the WCW had landed first blood against the WWF, especially by taking WWF's women's champion, Alundra Blaze, having her join WCW as Medusa, and dropping the WWF women's title into the trash. WWF would make commercials in mocking some of the well-known names of WCW, implying that they are past their prime and just a joke for a promotion. Ted Turner would become Billionaire Ted. Macho Man Randy Savage was now the Nacho Man. And interviewer Mean Gene Okerlund was now Scheme Gene. For the fans... It appeared as a fatal blow was about to happen very soon when WWF talent would appear at a WCW event. On Memorial Day of 1996, World Wrestling Federation's Razor Ramon arrived at a WCW show. 
He walked down through the crowd, interrupted a match in progress. The match stopped as Razor Ramon grabbed the mic and spoke out. And I quote, You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Where is billionaire Ted? Where is the nacho man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me? I go wherever I want, whenever I want. And where aware is Scheme Gene? Because I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll lookalike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for Billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. Later on, it would be addressed that Razor Ramon was making a statement that he and two associates of his were going to take over WCW. Fans were truly thinking that WWF had launched an all-out assault. What had really happened is that Razor Ramon now going by his real name of Scott Hall due to the WWF owning the rights to the name Razor Ramon, and a friend of his had jumped ship over to WCW. They were leading an attack against WCW, but it wouldn't be from the hands of the WWF. When Hall would appear again, Sting confronted him, only to be promised a little, well, scratch that, a big surprise was waiting for him the following week. The following week, Kevin Nash, formerly known as Diesel and the WWF, arrived, and the two became notorious as the Outsiders. They would arrive whenever, uninvited, and would either try to take over the commentator section, attack wrestlers backstage, or do anything to cause a disturbance for WCW. They would tease about the arrival of their mysterious third partner. Ironically, even though interviewed and honestly denying that they were employed by the WWF, many fans believed that the outsiders were working for the WWF as a method to destroy the WCW. This was such a huge issue that even the WWF filed a lawsuit against Hall, Nash, and WCW at one time. Despite all the behind-the-scenes drama, the fans only saw one thing going on with the Outsiders. The two demanded that the WCW brings out three of their best to take on Hall, Nash, and the third partner to see who the dominant team was in WCW. The other good part to note about this is that during this time, because the WWF owned the rights to the name Diesel and Razor Ramon, they kept announcing that Diesel and Razor Ramon were making an appearance back at the WWF. And this kind of caused some internal struggle and concerns for the WCW. These guys were attacking a, 
allegedly from the inside and not working with WWF, but they're going to make a return appearance at WWF. What had actually happened is even though those names were still owned by the WWF, they placed them on two completely different people, random individuals to play the role of Razor Ramon and Diesel. Now, the fans felt insulted by this, and it actually did help the WCW as well. Now, Bash at the Beach of 1996 was when the match was set for the three-on-three contest. The match had Lex Luger, the macho man Randy Savage, and Sting to face off against the Outsiders. Their partner, the mysterious third person, was nowhere to be found. It appeared that WCW had the upper hand. The Outsiders, they were still confident, saying that their man was in the building, but he wasn't needed just yet. The match began, and it turned for the worse was seemed to be there for the Outsiders, as they were starting to hold their own against the WCW, but still having some struggle. Things then began to look grim for the WCW as the Outsiders became dominant through the match. And then the all-American hero, Hulk Hogan, appeared to be the man of the rescuing times. He walked on down, facing the Outsiders. He even entered the ring and stood off to them. The fans were cheering for Hogan. Our savior, the icon of wrestling, had arrived to teach these outsiders a lesson. But soon the fans were given a shock as Hogan would turn on his fans and deliver a famous leg drop to the macho man Randy Savage, making all the cheers immediately turn to boos. It became apparent that Hogan had turned on us all and was the third man that the Outsiders had been talking about all this time. Mean Gene Okerlund interviewed Hogan right after the match, asking him why the turn. Hogan would say that he was tired of the fans turning their backs on him and that the new world order of wrestling had begun. Fans threw debris in the ring, One fan even tried to climb in and attack Hogan. History was changed forever for the wrestling world as the ultimate hero suddenly became the ultimate bad guy. Due to the New World Order, otherwise called the NWO, their invasion and the constant releasing of the WWF's card results during the WCW shows, ratings would spike for the WCW. For 84 consecutive weeks, over a year and a half, Monday Nitro held the dominant spot in the ratings of the Monday Night Wars. Fans were glued to the inner struggle of WCW against the NWO. This also gave WWF the push to no longer do taped programs and begin broadcasting live shows. Here's the deal. We all knew that the New World Order was supposed to be the bad guys. But for some reason, it was now cool to be the bad guys. Even the WWF had experienced this little bit with how well Steve Austin went over and took place as their icon. 
even if he wasn't really the figurehead of the heels or faces in WWF. Still, the NWO was intended to be the bad guys of the WCW story, yet their merchandise sold like crazy. Fans would cheer for them and hold up the NWO gestures of having the middle and ring finger pressed together with the thumb to look kind of like a beak while the other two fingers stuck out. People would cheer out with Hogan and he would state that, you know, if you were with NWO, you were with them for life. And eventually it grew to where Scott Hall would conduct little surveys to see who the fans had came to the arena to see. And despite what the fans would say, Hall would always rank it that they came to see the New World Order and would close his survey simply saying, Survey says, One more for the good guys, which implied the NWO. In 1997, the World Championship Wrestling was at its most dominant peak. The New World Order was still feuding with WCW as a revived Four Horsemen was leading the charge for WCW to stop Hogan and the NWO. Sting had disappeared for a while, but had now returned as a much darker character. He was still Sting, but his makeup was now white face paint with black around the eyes and lips that would taper off. It seemed like it was inspired from the hit movie The Crow. It was actually a suggestion that was inspired from Scott Hall when they were having a conversation, Hall and Sting, that the new appearance should be the black and white design. And it's just, it stuck around even to this day. He was the main figure, Sting that is, to stand along the front lines of WCW and face off against Hogan in the NWO. At Starcade, Hogan would face off against Sting in a much-anticipated matchup. Their feud would latch for about 15 months, although there would always be that clash and rivalry between the two of them. 97 Starcade had been argued on whether or not it was seen as a sign for the end of times for the WCW. It was, without a doubt, WCW's golden opportunity to pull so far ahead of the WWF that they could have possibly made Vince McMahon's empire begin to fall apart. However, WCW had made some fatal flaws that would turn the tables in the Monday Night Wars in favor of the WWF. One of these fatal flaws was the fact that everything became about the NWO. The click of the New World Order had made it by Bischoff's hands where almost anyone of the WCW roster was getting screwed over on a regular basis, even if they were promising talent. Another thing that they did that had the whole NWO problem issue was that the NWO expanded out into two groups. You had the black and white Hollywood faction versus the red and black Wolfpack faction. The problem with this is that things got very confusing about factions, and sometimes things became too predictable. Soon enough, we also had sub-factions like Latino World Order, 
which was led by Eddie Guerrero. Bischoff's genius plan at the beginning with a whole new world order now had begun to spiral out of control. As an attempt to regain dominance in the Monday Night Wars, WCW recruited Bill Goldberg into their roster. Goldberg was set to be an unstoppable force with a long undefeated streak. His main moves were the spear and the jackhammer. This did go over well for the fans, but it didn't help them get to the top slot of the ratings except for a very few times here and there. They no longer were able to recover the streak like they had in the past. Goldberg would have his winning streak and championship reign come to a quick end when he had a match against Kevin Nash, who at the time was also in charge of booking. Then it came to what many, myself included, felt was the biggest annoyance and slap in the face for the fans of WCW that we would ever experience. On January 4th, 1999, WCW Nitro promised the rematch between Nash and Goldberg. That match was so hyped up that people were just glued to watching WCW. And then we have Goldberg get arrested by the police with accusations of stalking Miss Elizabeth, the former valet of Randy Savage and now arm candy of Lex Luger. Well, that was a big disappointment, and with Goldberg being replaced, Nash's opponent was now changed to be Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Okay, still sets up for a great match. People wanted to see the NWO Wolfpack versus the Hollywood NWO and have their leaders face off in this epic battle. What even better, it's not a pay-per-view. It was on Monday night. Or that's what we all thoughts. The match began, and Hogan reared back his fist, only then to poke Nash with a single finger. Nash would dramatically oversell the poke and fell to where Hogan was able to cover him for the three count. Fans everywhere were outraged. They were looking forward to an excellent match, not a 10-second match, and they were screwed out of this wonderful possible match. And it was the biggest insult you could ask for. To the fans, this mocked our intelligence. Things didn't stop falling apart after that for WCW either. Under Bischoff's control, many of the younger talent who had so much promise were left in the mid-card slot and not allowed to grow into main event. Now, granted, the mid-card seemed to be the main event for a lot of the cruiserweights and luchadors, but everybody dreams to be the one to main event a show. A large chunk of their roster, who were these mid-carders, would leave to the WCW to join Vince McMahon. And ironically enough, this is where they became bigger names, some of them great champions and a few of them even as Hall of Famers. Some of these respected names include names such as Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn. The four of them would create their own stable at WWF, and you even had Chris Jericho leave the WCW. 
Bischoff would try other attempts to gain the glory of WCW, such as having the No Limit Soldiers face off against a heel stable of wrestlers called the West Texas Rednecks. It was rap against country. Unfortunately for Bischoff, the Rednecks became very popular and were forced to do a face turn. So you have music celebrities who you want to have cheered because you don't want to insult the music industry, then turn around and just get booed out of arenas. On September of 1999, Bischoff was removed from control of the WCW. Here at the Sleeper Hold Podcast, we strongly believe in helping others. Therefore, we have decided to feature a charity every quarter that we are supporting and invite you to support as well. Following his induction into this year's WWE Hall of Fame, we have decided to make our first charity, Connor's Cure. Head on over to our website at thesleeperhold.com and click on Connor's Cure on the right side of the page for more information. Hey guys, before we wrap this episode up, I wanted to give you a little update about some changes to our website. First of all, we have added a section for those we are partnering with, like Pinfall Wrestling Association. Also, we have added a calendar section so you can see when the next episodes are launching, as well as any shows we plan to make an appearance at. So come on out and see us. Thank you for listening to the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at thesleeperhold.com to comment on episodes, read our blog, for information about the quarterly charity, and more. See you in two weeks.